Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports it's friday it's may 26th bob camp kayla mortellaro with you up until noon today plenty to get into with the celtics winning game five forcing a game six the indianapolis 500 will be joined by eric smith from race review online to set the scene for us with the indy 500 taking place on sunday the 107th running of the indy 500 coverage starts on nbc at 8 a.m with the green flag slated for 9:45 a.m and of course it's a friday spread brought to you by von hansen's meats and spirits as well we'll dive into the weekend specials in just a minute but first hold on am i seeing this correctly here uh deandre hopkins according to adam schefter has been released by the Arizona Cardinals. This is just coming in moments ago. Uh, Adam Schefter reporting that DeAndre Hopkins now becomes a free agent and instead of being traded, can be signed anywhere he wants. Buffalo. Um, okay, so I guess we should probably you know, talk about the local angle here. Uh, I'm not surprised about this at all. You know, we had the poll question earlier this week, so they just settled for anything in return. And it was becoming pretty obvious that they weren't going to get anything in return other than just you know, third-day draft picks for next year. So they've been trying. I don't know how hard they've been trying, uh, but he's. I think it's been well known that he's been available since the second that he could be traded. And uh, it's certainly, I think the chances of this increased when they weren't able to trade him you know, during the draft. Uh, so And then you know, this week he's spent time you know talking about how he wants to play uh with a quarterback that loves the game as much as he does and i took that i assume others took that also as a shot at kyler murray and it uh, it just seemed like the you know, he's not there in the facility now you know there it's a it's not a mandatory ota this week but he's not around and he's like in toronto early earlier in the week and so forth. So I think they just kind of decided, well, we're not getting anything back for him and he's not going to really give us anything. So let's move on. I had plans to talk about this a little bit later on in our number two, but we can certainly dive into it uh, later on as well. But you had referenced uh, DeAndre Hopkins not being here in Arizona as part of the voluntary OTAs uh, that he was in Toronto. And it was part of him joining the I Am Athlete podcast where these comments came out in addition to us knowing his whereabouts for his training sessions and part of talking about who he'd like to play with this season 
season uh, to kind of, you know, in a way, finish out his career. Uh, top five quarterbacks that he'd like to play with are Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson. He also went on to add that he wants to play for a team with a great defense because defense wins championships. I just kind of thought that was funny because I'm like, yeah, we would all like to play with all five of those quarterbacks and we'd all like <laughs> to have great defenses. And uh, of course, we would all love for all of that to come to fruition. Great head coach, great general manager. But how many of those teams out of the 32 check all those boxes? That's a good question. I personally, if I'm a receiver, would not be crazy about playing Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's an accurate passer. And if I were a receiver, I'd be concerned that I'm going to get lit up uh, because we've certainly seen plenty of Baltimore receivers get lit up by inaccurate throws from the quarterback the last few years. Dan Graziano of ESPN has a tweet here that Cardinals discussed DeAndre Hopkins' trades with several teams this offseason, but his $19.45 million salary was an impediment to deals. Impediment, that might be the word of the day so far. Now he's free to sign with any... It definitely is. We got to beat Dan. Uh, Now he's free to sign with any team on a new contract. Cardinals carry a $21 million dead money cap charge for Hopkins in 2023. Dan Graziano on this show many years, at least on the sports zone, many years ago when he was covering the Yankees back in the day, way back in the day. That was like 20 years ago back in the day. So good for him. He's moved on. Things have worked out well for Dan. And things have worked out okay for the Yankees too. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly the we talked about that also uh, more than once, including earlier this week about you know whether they you know, could actually whether I didn't even know if it was legal. We had Frank Schwab on a Wednesday. Was that Wednesday we it had was. Frank on? <laughs> yeah, okay. We and I actually I, I, I'm I'm so you know ignorant about the salary cap. I didn't even know in the NFL if you could actually pay so your team could pay somebody else to take his you know part part of the salary if you traded him which you can if you're under the cap and you know the Cardinals are under the cap because they haven't spent any money in the offseason but you know this uh they they, it's just just yeah I think this is the bottom line if I'm just guessing here my you know it's just a recent report but I think they just you know they tried it didn't work out and they're just kind of tired with the whole thing. Uh, it, 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 we can certainly get into this a little bit later on in the show, but I'm just thinking to myself, we we had really kind of analyzed Monty Austin for in his first uh, draft as a general manager, and we liked uh, some of the things that they were able to do draft-wise, moving picks around, especially for future compensation. I wonder if this is a strike and mark against if the outcome here is just flat out releasing DeAndre Hopkins and not at least as, as your poll question was earlier this week, getting anything in return for him. Yeah. I'm guessing the salary had to play a role here as you know, Dan's report suggests, but you know, I don't really think, uh, you know, obviously we got early reviews here with Austin Fort. I was much more impressed with his draft. Uh, that overweighs anything that's happened with Hopkins in my opinion. 
I got us derailed here, but I just happened to look at uh, Adam Schefter, and I was like, we have to start the show with this breaking news in regards no, to the Arizona good. Cardinals. So let's get into the poll questions for the day. The KDOS1060.com poll question here. Will the Celtics win game six on Saturday night? And uh, continuing to lead the way is no at a resounding 100% of the vote. Okay. So... You know the odds makers. Uh, you know, you know, you know the Celtics are favored to win that game on Saturday night in Miami. So we'll see what happens. Last I saw, it was a th- three points, correct? Correct. I've there's there, there's a lot of uh, you know there's two and a halfs and there's three and a halfs. So depends on where you do your business. On Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, Bob had a really in-depth conversation with Chris Catello from MassLive.com. So if you missed that conversation about the Red Sox, podcast, KDUS1060.com or with the KDUS1060 app. But here's the question. As the Diamondbacks do face the Red Sox this weekend, will the Red Sox be an American League playoff team? And no, remains out in front 85.7% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 14.3%. Yeah, um, it was fun talking with Chris. He's really good, and uh, the Red Sox are obviously a team that I'm somewhat surprised about, even though they've come back to the pack here lately with their four straight losses on this road trip after they won the first two games in San Diego. You know, the Xander Bogart's revenge situation, for at least for him, going against the Red Sox. Uh, but then the, uh, the, the Padres won on Sunday, and then uh, – Surprising to me, because I don't think the Angels are very good, but the Red Sox went to Anaheim and lost all three games of that series. They had yesterday off, and they're here today for the first of three. Uh, yeah, and hopefully you were a part of the chance to win a pair of tickets to the Diamondbacks-Red Sox game on Saturday by downloading the KDOS 1060 app, registering and following along with the listener rewards uh, options for you to potentially be available. We're picking winners today for those Saturday tickets to the Diamondbacks at Chase Field hosting the Red Sox. For more information, you can always go to dbacks.com slash tickets. It's also a Friday spread. Brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, the weekend specials for your Memorial Day weekend as well. Certified Angus Beef Choice Tri Tip Roast, $12.99 a pound. Prime Pork Butts at $3.99 a pound. And fresh Jumbo Party Style Chicken Wings at $4.99 a pound. We'll certainly have that $100 gift certificate available to you, but not quite yet because we have to make room for Eric Smith of Race Review Online to join us us on the other side of the break to chat Indianapolis 500. It's the 107th running of the Indy 500. We'll kind of set the scene for how things have been going in the Indy car series so far, how that has shaped up for uh, the qualifying that has taken place here in the month of May what that looks like for the race day on Sunday. We'll get into kind of who's been the dominant teams and what we expect to take place. Also as well, Team Penske. Since Roger Penske has purchased the track, no Team Penske driver has won. So does that change this year? Plenty to discuss with Eric Smith on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDOS AM 1060 and the KDOS 1060 app. 
Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 set to take place on Sunday. Coverage starts 8 a.m. local time on NBC with the green flag expected at 9.45 a.m. So to help us get ourselves ready to go for Sunday's race, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline joined by Eric. Eric Smith with Race Review Online. Eric, appreciate the time on the program. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation. Uh, before we get into the Indy 500 details itself, let's go back to the start of the IndyCar season. Teams like Penske, Chip Ganassi are always at the top. You have Aero McLaren making a push this year. And Dreddy is still in the conversation as well. So of these teams, who has had the best start to the season and maybe some of the drivers for the teams that are certainly standing out? Yeah, good question. I, I think Billy Ganassi right now kind of stands out. Uh, they've had the speed. Uh, Alex Lowe's currently in the point standings. He just won the road course race here a few weeks ago. He's on the pole with 107th running the 8500 on Sunday. Um, he's had a top eight finish in every race, so it just feels like something's clicking with him. Uh, teammate Marcus Erickson won the season opener in St. Pete. He's third in points currently, so uh, you, you can never count out a guy like Scott Dixon who's kind of flown under the radar and is just, still is just right there. So I think Combined, they just feel like the top team. And oddly enough, it just almost feels like McLaren has passed Pinsky and far uh, like Team Chevy, the supremacy there. Uh, Otto Ward uh, easily is almost almost as good as Alex Blow. He just hasn't won yet. He's got three runner-ups in five races. He was second place in the DMR Grand Prix here a couple weeks ago to Alex Blow. And he was second in this Indianapolis 500 last year. So I just kind of feel like Ganassi and McLaren seem to have a battle for the season. It seems like they have a battle right now for uh, the Indy 500 this weekend. You know, the word momentum is always a thing that's discussed in sports, and we can, you know, have the argument if momentum is real. But when it comes to racing here, is momentum a thing heading into the month of May around Indy? Since this track is at two and a half miles of oval racing, it's kind of different than anything else these drivers face throughout the start of the season. Yeah, another good question. That's actually one of the things I've been talking about with the drivers uh, this month is with the momentum is, is racing a sport that you can carry momentum. It's not like a stick and ball sport where you might play one day and like baseball, you play every day, basketball, you play every few days. Uh, racing here, it's once a week. And, and how sometimes for any part, they had a long wall uh, between the first and second race. So how do you stay sharp? Is momentum a thing? Do you lose it? And the drivers have said it very, it very is real. They feel it. Um, Alexander Rossi told me they feel like they're riding the high wave right now. Um, being a McLaren driver, it, it's a real thing. They all feel it. Um, so one of the questions I asked as a follow-up to that was, if momentum is so big and racing is hard to get with how tight the competition is, is it harder to get momentum or is it harder to keep it? And it's kind of a mixed bag, but I said because it is so tough, the consensus kind of of the guys that are up front that it's almost harder to keep it just because anything can go wrong at any given time. But momentum is a very real thing in the NCP IndyCar series. Eric Smith, Race Review Online, as we're chatting about the Indianapolis 500 here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. All right, so let's fast forward now to the qualifying process that took place last week. What were the speeds that the top cars were racing at? What were the speeds that the bottom few teams were racing at? And how did those qualifying speeds compare to recent years? Yeah, it's very fast. This is the fastest uh, field in Indianapolis 500 history. 
fastest pole speed. Now, granted, the track record, uh, 1996, Ari Leindyke, who is, uh, lives out there in Arizona in your way. He is, uh, he still holds the track record at a little over 236 miles per hour, but that wasn't for the pole that year. That was the second day qualifier. So the pole speed this year, Alex Below, 234.217 is the fastest pole winning average here ever in the 107 year history. It's the fastest front row ever. 234.180 uh, is the average speed for the front row. But if you take the whole 33 in general from top to the bottom, the average speed for all of them was 232.184 miles per hour. That is the fastest field in any 500 history. So there's not much separation between the top and the bottom. Uh, the top two qualifiers, closest ever, second tightest margin between the front row. So it's a fast field, fastest uh, race, fastest female qualifier. Uh, second fastest rookie, so it's a fast month here. Um, record setting, and I have a feeling we're in store for maybe another record setting day on Sunday. So now there was something unique as well here. Uh, 34 cars looking for 33 spots in this year's Indy 500. The team of Rahal, Letterman, Lanigan struggled to find that speed all week leading up to qualifying, and three of their four cars were vying for those last few spots. So walk us through just how the bump process works, and then when it came down to it, Graham Rahal being the one that got bumped from the field. Yeah, so it's it's unique that with, with used to be you think of Indian Bump Day, all these 40, 50 cars going for 33 spots. This year, there's, there's only 34. So one person is going to miss it, so no matter what. So going into Saturday, it's the top 30 qualifiers last Saturday locked themselves in. And the bottom four would have to turn around and re-qualify on Sunday to try to make the final three spots. They called it the last row shootout. And the, uh, the Rayall guys, unfortunately, were just not very quick. They weren't quick all week. Uh, they were kind of worried going into it. And then after Saturday's, uh, opening day of qualifying, Graham Rahal told me, and so did Jack Harvey, that they knew it's probably going to come down to, to one of them missing the show. They just were lacking in speed. Uh, ironically enough, they're, they're best friends, they're teammates, and they knew one of them was going to have to knock the other one out, and that's exactly what happened. You get into the, the show, uh, they all qualified one time through. Jack was the slowest of the four, so he had to find a way to gain more speed, and he made multiple runs, uh, and in the closing seconds, he knocked Graham out, and Graham just wasn't, never got a chance to counter, and he was on the outside looking in, and then you have uh, the practice crash on Monday afternoon and the unique situation uh, that now has put Graham back in the show, uh, and now he's racing Stephen Wilson's car, who was injured and uh, was taken to the hospital for precaution and had surgery on Wednesday, successful surgery, I might add, but he can't race, and they needed another driver, and, and Graham was here on location still, and they're similar size to Stephen Wilson, and uh, Graham is really good friends with that family. He drove for that team back in 2010. The only problem was that team is a Chevrolet team. Graham's been a long-time Honda driver, so they're the only two manufacturers in the series. So there's a little bit of a, a rivalry between those two, but they worked for the betterment of the sport. They made a phone call. Honda lied. Uh, Graham said he'd do it. Uh, and so he very much said this is set far. But uh, I'm in great in honor of him for this weekend and, and hope to do something special. And, and I might add, in, in 1987, uh, Al Lunky Sr. didn't have a ride going in the month of May. And he just he's kind of getting up there in age and towards the end of his career, didn't have a ride. Danny on guys got a practice crash out here um, and ended up having to go to a backup car. That backup car was in the hotel lobby in Eden, Pennsylvania. They called out Sr. to seven, and he ended up winning the race. That was his uh, fourth win. Nobody's won more than that. He's one of uh, four four-time winners, so not saying Grant Randall is going to do that, but that is the trend that could happen. And, and ironically enough, 30 years to that date that he missed the show, 
his dad also was bumped from the field in 1993 in the 500. So there's a lot of number numerology working out here, but but Graham was bumped out and now Graham is back in, so he'll start last on Sunday in a couple of days. Certainly, in all of that, that's great news to hear that Stefan Wilson uh, had successful surgery and hopefully he's on the mend here soon. Certainly, there's just a lot surrounding the Wilson family, and it's always great that Stefan wants to honor his brother by being able to participate in the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, for sure. It's just been a weird situation for that family and, and how deep love they have for IndyCar and the fact that Stefan still. Uh, still wanting to do it, and he had a really good car. This is probably one of the better cars he's ever had out here. So it's a shame that he won't get a race on Sunday, but um, but Graham will do the best he can in it. Eric Smith, Race Review Online, as we're having a conversation about the Indianapolis 500 right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Okay, so you already alluded to this here. Alex Pillow, he is the poll winner. He finished 10th last year. We've seen the last couple of poll leaders knock it out and lead that first lap. It's a long race with a lot of strategy involved, but for Pillow and where he is at in his career, what does a poll do for him, and how is his car poised to be in the thick of it all race long? Yeah, it keeps with that momentum like we talked about. He's got that momentum. He he's he's used in twenty nineteen as a reference to Simon Pagino on the road course race. He won the pole and he won the eighty five hundred in the same year. So he's trying to go for that clean sweep. Uh, he's got the car to do it. He was fourth fastest in Monday's race practice. Uh car day practice wrapped up a few minutes ago. He's fourth fastest again. He looks good, but only one time in the last thirteen years has the pole winner actually won this thing and it was that Simon Pagino reference I just made in twenty uh 2019. So he can do it. He's got a lot of momentum. It it just feels right. But uh, Scott Dixon, he was on the pole the last two years uh, here too, and he didn't win either time. So it's, it's a long race, a lot to happen over the course of 500 miles. Below found out last year, he left 47 laps, was in the lead, and was getting ready to pit, and then a caution came out. He ran out of gas under that caution, so had to pit, do an emergency service, they call that. But that's a penalty. So he got put to the back. So the fact that he drove back to the top 10 last year still says something. Um, and I talked to him yesterday. Uh, he, he's a guy that's kind of like a student of the game. He analyzes a lot. And he mentioned in 2021 that he learned a lot from riding behind Elio and, and coming up the close second to him that year and how much he learned. He, he learned how much a veteran can, can do out here and got a, kind of a front row seat to see it. And then for the road course race, just a few weeks ago, he studied last year. He saw what the morning warm-up with the tires and made a change that worked to his advantage and won. And then he won the pole because last year he finished second and on qualifying day to Scott Dixon and noticed some things that Dixon did to kind of advantage over Pelot to win it. So he used it against everybody this past weekend and won the pole. So I feel like so much of what he's learned, it just feels right that uh, he's a favorite and he should be. He's learned that right. Uh, you also mentioned Scott Dixon, his teammate. He only has one Indianapolis 500 win. He'll be starting sixth for as impressive and accomplished of his career that he's had in the Indy Series. He's certainly wanting to add another win to his resume. He's had some unfortunate luck the last couple of years. Uh, does he have the car this year? He does. He looks like he did last year, the year before. He's, he's got some speed. It's just... Kenny gets a luck. He almost just reminds me of Mario Andretti out here. Won a bunch of races outside of Indy, won a bunch of championships, but only has one Indy 500 crown, and that's where he sits. And his, his last and only Indy 500 win came back in 2008, and it seems like if things could go wrong for Scott, they've gone wrong. In 2020, he led 111 of 200 laps, finished second. Uh, Takuma Sato passed him in the end for the win. 
2021, early caution, similar to flow last year. Just caught him out, emergency service, fell lap down, never made it up. And then last year, he led 95 laps, was leading coming to the final pit stop, and unfortunately sped on pit road. So it just feels like if something's going to happen, it always happens with Scott Dixon around here. Um, so we'll see what happens on Sunday. He's got a good car. He was just second again in practice uh, a few minutes ago. He was second quickest on Monday. I looked uh, – if you go through all the practice sessions last week, he's been second fastest in every practice session minus one. So he's got speed. He just told me a little bit ago after practice that he's still kind of searching for a little bit more for Sunday. So he's still searching, but he's also Scott Dixon. I know the track record doesn't necessarily state that he's going to necessarily win with one win and all those tries, but uh, I still never count against him. Eric Smith, Race Review Online here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So I'm going to go through some of these names with the Arrow McLaren team. Felix Rosenquist starting third, Pato Award starting fifth, Alexander Rossi starting seventh, and Tony Kanaan starting ninth, who is officially racing in his final Indianapolis 500. So what's been impressive about these drivers this month, their cars, the setup, and really kind of how the team has just accelerated to this ascent? Yeah, they, they look really good. Uh, they look good all season. They're the, they're the lead Chevy group. You could say all four of their cars made the fast nine uh, or the fast 12 shootout that we had last weekend. They all start in the top 10. They've all got a shot. So the one thing that made me a little leery was talking to some drivers around the garage. They said they'd notice when it gets kind of hot and slick, the McLaren cars seem to struggle in traffic, which I thought was interesting because it's not necessarily going to be hot by any stretch of the imagination on Sunday, but it's going to be warm and slick. So I'll be curious what they can do. Um, in race practice, you don't really see them up necessarily high enough on the speed chart. But, again, that's one lap compared to 200 laps around this place. But they look good. I mean, Pato Ward was my pick coming into this month. He, he's ran 16 ovals over the course of his career. 12 of those uh, ovals he's finished in the top four. 11 top fours in his last 12 tries. He just finished runner-up at Texas, uh, which is a similar super speedway package uh, back in April. He was second in this race last year. He's got three top six finishes in his mini tries. So I like Pato Award. I just feel like starting fifth after Marcus Harrison started last year. I feel like they could get that figured out. Rossi feels good, too. I mean, he's top five last year, right? And he was top five uh, in the GP here a couple weeks ago, including the podium. That's his best finish uh, in his early career with McLaren now. Um, he knows his way around this place. He's always fast. He's starting up front. So I, I do feel good about him. Rosenquist was fourth last year. Uh, starting on the front row. He's got a good car. I just want to see kind of a little more out of him on the Super Speedway. He didn't start good, but can he finish? So that's the question we got of him. And then Tony Khan, what can you say about him? He, he knows everywhere around this track. He knows how to get it done. And the numerology for him works out because it kind of took me that 93 race, right? So Grant Rahal got bumped out this year. Bobby Rahal got bumped out that year. The starting uh, on the pole since 1993 was the 10, number 10 Chip Ganassi car. The pole here this year is the number 10 Chip Ganassi car. It's two Scots in the field both times. And then the race winner in 1993 was a Brazilian driver named Emerson Fittipaldi. He started ninth. That was the second Indy 500 win. Tony Canon starts ninth this Sunday, and he's going for a second Indy 500 win. So numerology kind of works out for him. He's got a good race car. We know he's. There is no tomorrow for him here. He's retiring when this race is over. So if there's any moves, late race moves, that kind of seems kind of gutsy. Is it going to work? He's going to have to try it because he knows there is no tomorrow. So I do feel good about Tony Kanan's chances as well.
Team Penske, they haven't had a winner of the Indy 500 since Roger Penske bought the track. So when you look at the qualifiers, though, uh, maybe you would expect a little bit different year from a Penske team with Will Power in 12th, Scott McLaughlin in 14th, and Joseph Newgarden in 17th. Uh, you know, what can we attribute to some of the struggles around Indianapolis 500 here of recent? I just think they had. Every year they think they've got it figured out, and every year they show up and they're just still a little bit off. And and every year we talk to them, and especially past Friday, which is uh, last Friday, they have a Pinky Press conference, and they were talking about how happy they were with the changes and how they feel like this is the year. This is the year they've got it figured out. They worked really hard in the off season, and then they come out and qualifying, and they look no different than they did last year. So I I, I talked to Joseph Dugard about it, and he just said that they they just it's a cruel mistress is what he calls this place. It's just hard for some reason, for them to figure it out. They don't know. They said they have to go back and look at it again. And just They don't know why they haven't figured it out. So I talked to the drivers, because how I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that Penske or Ganassi and, and McLaren kind of have a rivalry with their running up front all season. But is there another rivalry inside the Chevy camp between McLaren and Penske? Because McLaren's kind of the new dog on the block. And they've already got this place figured out. They beat Penske. All four of their cars finished ahead of the three of Penske's last year. All four of their cars qualify in front of the Team Penske this, uh, group this year. So I'd be curious to see how that works on Sunday. It's a long race. Anything can happen. But I just don't get a good feel for the Penske guys that they're going to necessarily come through the field because the last two years they haven't shown that they could. You mentioned it's a long race, two-and-a-half-mile track, 500 miles total to get this victory, a war of attrition. So are there any other storylines that we should be paying attention to ahead of Sunday's uh, green flag? Yeah, uh, the, the Ray Hall with the dryer, uh, so that's a big one. Um, Pit Road, obviously, is a huge story. Uh, a lot of people don't think it's a city and it's, it's a storyline, but as I said, Dixon earlier, he um, spent last year some of his final pit stops. You're going to make seven, eight pit stops during the race. Uh, in last, out last, when, when you come out in traffic, do you enter in traffic? There's all those little things in the pit stops. If, if a seven-second pit stop takes you eight or nine and somebody else comes in and does it in seven, that was seven seconds running around you, you're going to now be behind him in that freight train. So pit stops are a huge storyline. Elio Castro-Neves hasn't had a great car this month. He said that uh, they're still searching for speed, but not all the time speed wins here. you got to get lined it all up. got to get lucky. you got to have the right strategy. you got to stay out of trouble. Find the the pit stops right. Uh, Can he win number five? That's a big one. Nobody's ever won five here. He's got four in, in 2021, so... Can he get his fifth win on Sunday will be a big one. So that's, that's one I got my eye on. And, and then just seeing what the McLaren versus the Ganassi guys do. Uh, do they win or does somebody come in and steal it? So those are some other storylines I'll be watching on Sunday. Eric, greatly appreciate you helping us preview uh, the Indianapolis 500 and getting us ready for the uh, green flag on Sunday. Have a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a blast and appreciate the time. You're very welcome. Once again, he is Eric Smith with Race Review Online. Uh, the Indianapolis 500 is on Sunday. Coverage starts NBC 8 a.m. local time uh, with the green flag expected 9.45 a.m. But it's really cool to watch uh, all the pomp and circumstance before the drivers get in their cars and they start their engines for the 33 cars to head down turn number one.
So I guess I just told you what I'll be doing Sunday morning at 8 a.m. But right now, what you can be doing is giving us a call, 602-260-1060. We'll take your calls now, get to you on the other side of the break. The news from this morning as we started the program, the Arizona Cardinals have released DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, That is released. So they are on the hook for his money uh, on the the cap, and they're not getting anything in return. So DeAndre Hopkins is free to sign anywhere he would like. We'll also get into the Celtics and the Heat game from last night. Plenty of discussion, but your calls if you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Smith of Race Review Online for his time talking about the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. If you missed any of the conversation, you can always podcast over at kdos1060.com or by downloading the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports and podcasting from there. It is the Extra Point on this Friday, May 26th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. But a reminder for you next week, uh, no show on Monday as it is is Memorial Day. Uh, as we continue the conversation and how we started things off with the news that the Arizona Cardinals have released wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Ian Rappaport also adding some context here that this is not a post uh, post June 1st designation. So that means that Arizona is going to take on the entire 20. 20- $22.6 million dead cap hit this season, but I guess that frees them up for 2024. And I guess if you're looking at it from a money perspective, that they're kind of saying to themselves, 2023 is a definite rebuild year. We'll be ready to go for 2024. It's still puzzling, though, that they weren't able to get anything in return. I'm not that puzzled. I just don't know. Yeah, he's 31. I mean, you know, he's got a, he had a huge salary. I, I'm guessing that you know, I think the the next process is the claiming process, right? I assume nobody's going to claim it because they'd have to pay him. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not surprised about this at all. I brought it up, you know, more than once this off season that they're just might have to just let him go. So I'm I'm not surprised. Uh, So certainly we'll continue to monitor that situation as more develops. But if you were listening to his I Am Athlete podcast, his his, uh, appearance on the I Am Athlete podcast, his list of quarterbacks that he wanted to play with were five, and that included Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson. So I guess we'll continue to see uh, if any of those teams are winners for DeAndre Hopkins' services. But I will say that Von Miller tweeted out a little eyeball emojis. Uh, and so certainly we'll be continuing to watch that as we know that there were cryptic messages from earlier in the offseason kind of referencing his desire to go to Buffalo. And this Buffalo thing has been going on for a long time, so it wouldn't be surprising. Ironically, uh, his you know, greatest moment with the Cardinals was the Hail Mary that he caught against Buffalo. 
Absolutely. Uh, so let's turn our attention, though, to the NBA. Uh, the Celtics winning game five last night, 110 to 97. The Heat uh, lost that game. The Celtics avoid elimination yet again. The Heat were missing Gabe Vincent, who uh, hurt his ankle in game four. So that'll certainly be something to continue to monitor his status and really his um his ability to move even if he is able to try to play on Saturday. Jimmy Butler was 5 of 10 for 14 points. Bam Adebayo, 8 of 15 for 16 points. Duncan Robinson off of the bench, 7 of 10 for 18 points. For the Celtics, they also have their own injury concerns, and that's Malcolm Brogdon. His elbow, his minutes and effectiveness have certainly been declining over the course of this series Jason Tatum, though, 8 of 16, 21 points, 11 assists. Marcus Smart, 7 of 12, 23 points. Derek White, 8 of 11, 24 points. And Jalen Brown, 9 of 18, 21 points. Yeah, the Brogdon thing, he was not able to re- not, not available to return last night. He only played seven minutes. You know, he was questionable for the game to begin with and gave it a whirl, but uh, wasn't effective, obviously. And they announced during the game that he was not able to return. So whether he plays game six or not, he is the sixth man of the year in the NBA. And uh, he's a really good, uh, you know, all-around player. And, uh, you know, so I think that the, the Celtics certainly, uh, you know, their depth has uh, been a little exposed or maybe it was overrated to begin with uh, before the uh, – during these playoffs, certainly, that the, they're – their depth, which you know, I'm the one that, at least uh, amongst the two of us, that uh, said many times during the season that they have more good players than anybody. That might not be exactly true. Uh, certainly hasn't been true the way that those guys have performed in the postseason, coming off the bench for the most part. So Brogdon is obviously their best guy. He was the sixth man of the year in the league. I think this is a big deal if he's not able to play. So we got 15 teams that have down uh, now actually forced a game six. The 15 teams that were down 0-3 that forced a game six. Only three have ever made it to a game seven, and obviously none of those have ever won a game seven. But Boston wins the last two games by a total of 30 points. I think the biggest constant, you know, you can look at stats and whatever. That's great, and you know, there's certainly constants there. But to me, loose balls. The, the Heat are the king of the loose balls uh, and have been for a long time. I mean, years. Uh, but the last two games, the Celtics have clearly demolished them in the 50-50 ball situation. Also, the uh, Heat have been held under 100 points by the Celtics defense for the last two games. Um, actually, I heard Spolster, this is a great quote, he praised the Celtics' activity level. Activ- activity level, he tried to say. I did. He said it better than I uh, last night. I thought that was uh, well said. Also, just last night was a, a, a complete domination from the start. Points off of turnovers, 27-19. Second chance points, 17-7. Jason Tatum had a, a season high, playoffs or regular season, a whole year. 11 assists last night in that game. On the other side, you know, going back to Spolster for a second, uh, he does not believe in the game-to-game momentum thing during the playoffs. Uh, in fact, the uh, quote here, one game doesn't lead to the next game. I'm in total agreement with that and have been forever. And I'll, uh, you know, until further notice, I'm not going to change my mind on that. So we'll uh, see what happens with that. Then you mentioned the Gabe Vincent injury. I think that's a big deal. Also, 
It took you know, four games for the Celtics to realize, hey, Kevin Glove can't really defend pick and rolls. It took him like four games to figure that out. Uh, but they've certainly attacked him the last two games. So much so last night that Love didn't even start the second half. And he's healthy and did start the second half. Yeah, certainly Miami was careless with the ball. You talked about turnovers. They had 16 for the game. Uh, Jimmy Butler quoted yesterday after the game, we're always going to stay positive, knowing that we can and we will win this series. We'll just have to close it out at home. Is it going to take something special from Jimmy Butler to get this done? Uh, Because the injuries are kind of mounting at this point, and Gabe Vincent has done a lot being able to uh, handle the ball as well as knock down threes. I think if Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo play like they have the majority of the playoffs that this series is over on Saturday night. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be over last night, but I actually thought it would be over in game four, quite frankly. Uh, but I think it's over. Jimmy Butler you know, kind of stopped a little bit short of guaranteeing a victory tomorrow night, if that means anything to anybody. The other thing I'd pay attention to watching this game on Saturday night is it, I think the one thing that has clearly happened in addition to the 50-50 balls these last two games is the zone defense that Miami has used, and not just in this series. They play more zone than anybody in the NBA during the regular season and certainly have in the postseason. That effectiveness, uh, at least in this series, has really you know, waned the last two games. I don't know if that means the Celtics have finally figured out the Miami zone defense or what, but clearly the Celtics have been much more effective against the Miami zone in the last two games. Uh, the Celtics minus three, Heat plus three in Miami Saturday at 5.30 p.m. Uh, this came to me from the digital department. We actually have some extra tickets to the Diamondbacks and Red Sox series for Saturday. Uh, so right now, callers one and two, 602-260-1060, you'll get four packs to Saturday's baseball game with the Diamondbacks uh, hosting the Red Sox. 602-260-1060, callers one and two right now. For more information, you can always visit dbacks.com slash tickets. Uh, we wrap looks up. Looks like that's going to be, that looks like that's going to be Davies' return from the injured list, by the way. Yeah, since it was listed as TBD, but that seems to be a great spot for him to uh, slide back in. And they moved Merrill Kelly back a day, too, so that gives you another indication that that's kind of the plan, even though that's not official yet, but we think that's going to happen. Hour number one, we wrap it up on the other side of the break, 602-260-1060, callers one and two. We'll get you those four packs for Saturday's game. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Wrapping up hour number one on this Friday, May 26th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. The uh, PGA Tour. They are at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas for the Charles Schwab Challenge. 
Uh, let's take a look at how things are going. Uh, the odds-on favorite, Scotty Scheffler, he shot three under par yesterday. This is just getting to be um, really quite something. His ball striking is so incredible. He's gaining anywhere between 9 to 12 strokes per round ball striking, but he is hemorrhaging strokes on the green, and yet he's still able to shoot 67. So if he can get himself poised and ready to go for uh, the U.S. Open, he'll be right in the thick of things again. So that's something to keep in mind for as we are uh, you know, less than uh, three weeks away from the U.S. Open. But Scotty Sheffield has yet to tee off today. He's sitting at three under par in a tie for 18th. When we look at who is leading the golf tournament, Harris English is nine under par. He shot four under today, catapulted by a hole in one. Uh, So good for Harris there. And uh, probably some drinks are going to be on him later this afternoon. Then you have Emiliano Grillo and Harry Hall at eight under par. Harry Hall was your first round leader. He has yet to tee off. He shot 62 yesterday. So we'll see if Harry Hall can back up that good score. Uh, When you look at some of the other odds on favorites to win the golf tournament, Colin Morikawa struggled yesterday. He shot three under today, sitting at even par. That is currently the projected cut line, but with so many golfers yet, tee off. I'm very curious if it will stay at even par for the tournament. Uh, When we looked at some of the guys that we had uh, some plays on, Justin Rose shot one under yesterday. He has yet to tee off today, so we'll monitor his action. That's good right now for a tie for 40th. Tommy Fleetwood shot even yesterday. He has yet to tee off, so hopefully he can get things going on the greens for him. Other odds-on favorite, Victor Hovland. He shot two under today. That's one under for the tournament in a tie for 40th. Jordan Spieth really struggled yesterday. He shot two over par. Uh, he has yet to tee off this afternoon, so we'll see if he can uh, catapult himself into the weekend. You know that he likes to play uh, well in his native Texas. And then, of course, everyone was uh, talking about Michael Block, who was the PGA of America golfer who played really well at the PGA Championship last week and he was able to get a sponsor's exemption into the field this week. He struggled yesterday shooting 81. He's three over par through 16 holes today uh, in 120th position. I mean, this is not 100% surprising because it's really hard to play on the PGA Tour. It's really, really hard. And then he had a week uh, that was unlike anything else he's ever experienced. The media tour, don't know how much he was golfing, just kind of the coming down off of the high of the euphoria of the week. So not 100% surprised by this particular outcome for Michael Block. But we'll continue to monitor things going on at the Charles Schwab Challenge. We'll get into the Diamondbacks. We'll get into more NBA. DeAndre Hopkins news as the Cardinals have released him. All of that yet to come in our number two of the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports.